right? So you have like neighborhoods or specific areas where it's quite diverse, but the majority of places in Australia are like what I grew up with, which was there's one black girl at the school. Everything is separate. It would be an anomaly to walk down the street and see another black person. And it is very much the oh, the nod of, oh, there's another, hey, hey I see you. Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to, to Los Angeles. Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. Cute. That's cute. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This was a really fun interview. We laughed a lot. And mostly because, well, at least I didn't attempt the Australian accent. Yes, it was like... The entire episode, I mean, obviously there was a lot more to it, but we were just comparing like different ways that we say things in English in America versus uh, in Australia. Yes. Yes. They also speak English there. <laughs> they do speak English. <laughs> but what we were talking, we were talking about like gazebo. Like she brought no. up the most random word. What I know. It? Garage. Garage. <laughs> Garage. <laughs> She's like the garage. Garage. I can't do it. So the thing with with Australian accents is like they have hard R's. So it's like it's like a British accent, but you have the hard R. I can't do it. (laughs) Yeah, you can't. I just sound like a pirate. I honestly. But we're big. We're big fans of the Australian accent, and we are really big fans of our guest today, (laughs) Mava Heim. She's the founder and CEO of Bread Beauty Supply. She called bright and early from Australia because as you know there is quite a big time difference um but she was so lovely I'm like I feel like we well we do we say this in in the episode we've been fans of hers and the brand ever since she launched for those of you guys who aren't familiar with Bread Beauty Supply it is Australia's first textured hair care brand which is crazy and she launched in Sephora also crazy, so major. Well, she was an intern at Procter & Gamble. She worked at L'Oreal. She, you know, knew that there was this white space in the hair care space. Um, <laughs> literally lit- white. <laughs> literally. literally. Literally white space. Yeah. She wanted to simplify the way that black women uh, could care for their textured hair, simplify the routines. Um, she noticed that, like, what you could get at the drugstore just wasn't cutting it (laughs) compared to you know the offerings that most everyone else uh, could find for their hair Um, and she wanted people to really just celebrate their natural hair and not um, you know demonize the the word frizz like why is frizzy hair bad Um, why is texture why why is having you know textured hair bad yeah we are dedicated to doing more hair content this year I think like 2022 is the year of hair content and and like products in general but you know she launched like 
right at the beginning of the pandemic, essentially. I remember meeting her via Zoom. Yeah. Which we probably would have met via Zoom anyways, because she lives in Australia. Right, but, but she would she would have come out at least. But they yeah. have like such strict um, immigration like rules to like leave and exit the country right now. Anyways. Good for them. <laughs> I mean, like COVID-related. COVID-related. Yeah, COVID-related. COVID-related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. COVID-related. yeah, let's clarify that. <laughs> I'm not saying good for them with yeah. for immigration issues. Like, <laughs> please. No, no. I think that if any of you are thinking about starting a beauty brand, this is the episode to listen to, one of them at least, because she really had a plan. I think sometimes think people think it's enough to just have an idea and then go for it. But she had, like, done essentially market research and – and knew what people were wanting and was able to fulfill her business dreams because she was prepared to do so. So anyways. Yeah. Plus there was like the whole personal story of it all, right? Yep. Like it was very much like near and dear to her heart. Um, so yeah, it was like the she was just like the perfect person to start this brand. And yeah, we're really excited for you guys to listen to the interview. So enjoy. feel like Kirby should be starting but I will start because I don't know Mava if you know this but Kirby loves to do an Australian accent <laughs> I don't want to put her on the spot wow wow you are throwing <laughs> me under the bus throw away I'm gonna need to hear this absolutely not I can't do it in front of an actual Australian person like Sarah <laughs> what was the episode where I was about to do it and you were like absolutely not yeah I was like before you even try to do it Kirby please do not I was like we have listeners in Australia and we are gonna lose them <laughs> no but it comes from a place of love and admiration it's my favorite accent I love it I love it it's my favorite so my intro is ruined because I was trying to give this grand intro and then it just Kirby's Australian accent popped into my head. No, this is this is how we're starting this interview. This is perfect. I'm like absolutely <laughs> obsessed. So Mava, we are so excited that you're here, obviously, so that I can listen to the sweet sounds of your Australian <laughs> accent, but also because we love your brand. And I feel like, I mean, I don't want to toot our own horns but like when you first launched I feel like we were early adopters of bread we were like okay we got in there we knew straight up like this was something special so we are honored to have you on the podcast thank you for making time for us of course thank you for having me we like to kick off every episode with a segment called what's on your face so what are some products you're loving at the moment Okay, so usually there's not much on my face, to be honest, because I'm like work from home all the time. We do a lot of Zooms, but like we kind of have a company policy that it's cameras off and less necessary. So people don't feel like they have to be like on all the time. It's like you're doing work. That's what's most important. We like to see each other sometimes, but it's mostly cameras off, which is really nice. But today I have some great things on my face. So when I am doing video calls or Zoom calls and things like that, my absolute favorite thing to wear is the Amicole skin tint. So that's what I'm wearing right now. It is like, I mean, I haven't really been out that much. So to me, I'm like, this is my Zoom, like holy grail. <laughs> it's as soon as you put it on, it just completely filters your face. 
every time I wear it on a Zoom, people are like, oh, you look great. What are you wearing? Like, what's on your face? Your skin looks amazing. I'm like, it's the skin tint. It's insane. And I know everybody loves the lip oil from Amicole, but to me, this is like next level, like product of the year. It's amazing. It's my favorite. And then I'm also wearing the Milk. Is it Kush? I say Kush. Mascara. It might be Kush. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's Kush. It's Kush. Oh, great. Perfect. I'm on it. So the Milk Kush Mascara is my absolute favorite. And it's one of those products that made me really believe in the power of sampling because I was sampled a small size of it, loved it so much. And now I just keep rebuying it. And it's my like holy grail mascara. So this is a really good one. It comes in this really chunky, like fat pack, which I really like. So those are my two favorites that are on today. Ooh, those are such good products. That's why all those beauty boxes are so popular. <laughs> yes, they do some things. They do. <laughs> they make some points. Kirby and I went to this big launch party for that mascara where oh. they were also handing out cannabis products to complement the mascara. It was wild times. <laughs> it was pre-COVID. That sounds really wild. It was pre-COVID and it was like a platter of like little like weed gummies and like... Like edibles and things? Yes. Oh my God. Wow. Like <laughs> pens, vape pens. I still have my Kush milk vape pen. Yeah. Like it was wild. Absolutely wild times, but it was great. But that is a good mascara. Yeah. It's a great one. I think they just launched a new one, but I haven't tried it yet. This one's good. Me either. I need to get my hands on that new one, but if it's anything like Kush, I think it's going to be great. I'm a big fan. You grew up in Perth, Australia and read in an interview, you know, you mentioned you were one of the only black girls in your community your mom owned a hair braiding salon. It was one of the first in all of Australia, which like when I read that, that like absolutely blew my mind. All of this had like such an impact, I'm sure, on your outlook on beauty growing up and your relationship with your hair or just like yourself and your identity. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in Perth? Yeah, I mean, Perth is such a like interesting place because it's a capital. It's the capital of Western Australia. And it's almost like a big suburb. Like it's a small city, big city, if that makes sense. Everything is very spread out. And yeah, like you mentioned, spent so much of my childhood here being in my mum's braiding salon, which was one of the first in Australia. And it was probably the first here in Perth. A lot of braiders at the time, and even, you know, more so now as well, were like home braiders. And so there was no like destination where you could go and not just get your hair braided, but also like buy the products that you would use for textured hair or for different protective styles. All of the things that you could get in the United States that you would find in a beauty supply store, like you couldn't get here. So we actually used to import a lot of that product over and sell it in the salon. And I remember our like spare bedroom just being like full to the brim of all of these random products <laughs> and like clips and extensions and all of those things. And this salon was essentially a garage. You guys call it a garage? I always forget. A shed garage thing. Yeah. You know? But it sounds so much nicer when you say it. <laughs> yeah, we're like garage. <laughs> garage. You also say pergola, which is really weird. I'm sorry. It's a pergola. <laughs> Wait, what is it? We say pergola. <laughs> it's definitely pergola, I swear. I love this episode where just like, say this word. Now you say this word. We'll go over all of the words. <laughs> but it was, 
essentially like connected to the back of a restaurant. It was like this Italian restaurant downtown. It was just this hole in the wall salon. It was amazing. And my mum decked it out and had these panels at the front that would like close as doors with like all of these photos on it of all of her clients and the braids and the styles that she'd done. And it was just this really cool kind of central place where so many different people would come to that salon to get their hair done. A lot of tourists. It was really cool. It was in this very cool spot of town that's now like quite gentrified. So you wouldn't find anything like that now. But it was really cool back then. I didn't think it was cool at the time because I was a child and no one wants to go to their mum's work, you know, every day or like after school or during the school holidays. So I didn't find it as cool back then, but I find it really cool now that that was a really big part of my childhood. And yeah, I was the only black girl pretty much in my whole school throughout my entire school life. Uh, We call it primary school and high school. So primary goes up to when you're about 11, 11, 12, and then you go into high school and you're about 13. And yeah, throughout all of my schooling, it was, usually just me or maybe like one other or maybe three of us in total one of those probably included my brother so it was very interesting I think growing up here with the beauty landscape which really favors you know that kind of quintessential Australian beach babe which is obviously someone who's blonde and thin and naturally pretty and has straight like billowy beach hair and I wasn't that and so it definitely you know took me some time to feel comfortable in my own skin and feel like my beauty was valuable too but I very luckily had amazing parents and especially my mum who really just instilled so much confidence in me that even when I went into the outside world, I still felt really confident about myself despite what my environment was telling me. Totally. Sarah, this is like probably a question that we have down the line, but I figure it's a good segue in. Like, I'm curious like, what was your idea of beauty? Like, were you thinking that like this quote unquote, like ideal Australian babe with the blonde hair and the beach bod or whatever it was like, was that your idea of beauty? Or were you constantly searching for something else? I think probably a little bit of both. Like it's so ingrained that you're like, oh, that is the ideal. And that's what I should look like. And throughout my whole kind of childhood, I always wanted to have straight hair. And so I would always have like a straight weave and I got blonde weaves. I used to wear contact lenses a lot and all of those things, which like are totally fine when you, you, it's about self-expression, right? But when it's like, there's more behind the intent or the impact of that, right? So I definitely tried to become that ideal of beauty as best that I could. And then for me, the people that I looked up to and that I was really thankful for who were kind of public figures that, you know, often set the tone of what the beauty standard is back then, people like Beyonce, where I was like, oh, like there's someone who looks like me that people also admire. And yeah, I feel like that was really helpful growing up, but there weren't a lot of Beyonce's, right? And a lot of the media that we were being fed was about this pretty blonde white girl, (laughs) essentially. Totally, totally. Mava, how old are you? I'm, oh my God, I'm 31. <laughs> I have to think about the year and then I'm like, it's very easy math. I was born in 1990. So. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, she's about to lie. I will be 32 this year. No, I was like, oh my God, Kirby, should we not have asked? <laughs> no, not at all. Because I do think it's important to like set the scene of like, 
who you were thinking, like when you think of Beyonce, like obviously you think of like the millennium, right? Like you're thinking like late nineties, early two thousands, you're thinking of like destiny's child. That was the time. And like, we are so lucky that Beyonce like had her moment then and like just continues to shine. I want to pivot now. So from the hair braiding salon, right? Like you're like, cool mom, that's, that's your gig, but whatever. And then you've had some amazing jobs. You've worked at brands like L'Oreal, ASOS and Procter and Gamble. How did the salon like guide you to these jobs? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because that path was never linear. It was never, oh, I've worked in beauty because I've grown up in my mom's salon and I want to have a career in beauty or beauty marketing. I studied law and also a business degree. So my intention was actually to become a lawyer initially. And I studied both at the same time. So I did law and I did, I mean, classic, like child of an immigrant, I'm going to be a lawyer. Um, And I ended up studying both. So I studied law and I studied business at the same time and got to the end of that degree or those degrees and realized that I felt like I could have more impact with something that I felt that I was good at, but also really, really enjoyed. And by that point, it felt more natural to me to do something that was more creative. I wanted to go into business. And so I abandoned the law career after all that time. I really was looking down the barrel and thinking, is this what I want to do for the next 40 years of my life? And the answer was no. And so I was like, well, I think you should try something else because law is a very specific path, right? You graduate and then you have to do all of these other things. And then it takes, you know, time to get to like this next point. And I thought if I'm not 100% all in super passionate that this is where I need to go, then I need to cut my losses. And so made that difficult decision, decided that I wanted to go into business. It's very broad, but, you know, business and use my business degree. And that if I was going to do that, I should do something fun. And so instead of going into management consulting or something along those lines, I thought marketing, marketing sounds great. You know, kind of going back to this like idea of growing up in Perth, you don't understand often what the opportunities are because we don't have major head offices here, right, of big CPG companies. And so I actually had no idea that this was even an option. I had no idea that there was a Procter & Gamble or a L'Oreal or that there was a company that produces peanut butter or Vegemite and that you can make the TV commercials for those brands and there's actual people in an office that make those decisions and do those things. It's all like behind a curtain and it was nothing I had ever thought about before. And when I discovered that that was a thing, I thought, oh my God, I want to try that. And so decided I wanted to go into, you know, CPG, whatever that would mean, not necessarily beauty. And honestly, beauty wasn't even on my radar. I was more interested in fast moving goods like Vegemite or (laughs) toothpaste and things like that. And I just so happened to apply for an internship, which was overseas. It was a Procter & Gamble internship that would take me to Singapore and all of these things. Didn't get it, was thoroughly disappointed. And I thought, I'm just going to try as hard as I can and do whatever I need to do to get it next year. And so I ended up getting an internship at L'Oreal. And that's where I became, you know, entrenched in the beauty world and it was never my intention to end up there or to end up in beauty, but that's what happened. And then the next year I did get the Procter & Gamble internship. So I went and worked at Procter & Gamble in Singapore and did what I had initially intended to do, which was work on toothpaste. (laughs) 
And I realized that I really missed L'Oreal. I missed beauty and I missed that style of brand marketing and that style of brand management. And so I ended up going back to L'Oreal where I had never intended (laughs) to go in the first place. And yeah, just really, really loved it, but also had a lot of challenges, which ended up leading me to starting my own company, (laughs) essentially. So you weren't working like specifically on, you know, hair care brands at L'Oreal. And I'm sure obviously growing up with your mom having a hair braiding salon and just knowing the beauty space and working in it saw the, you know, white space. So can you... Talk us through, like, how did you come to the idea of starting bread? Like, what was the industry getting wrong about, you know, serving women of color, about natural or textured hair? What were you noticing at that time? I mean, I have to be really honest. I don't know if it was conscious or very subconscious, but I actually avoided hair like the plague. I never wanted to work on the hair brands. I worked on pretty much every category other than hair. So I did skincare, I did makeup, I did fragrance, I did devices, I did pretty much everything that L'Oreal does except for hair. And I never wanted to end up in hair. And I think that that was probably partly because of my experience growing up. I thought like, oh, hair is hair. Like it didn't necessarily like excite me at the time. I was really obsessed with makeup and I wanted to work on the makeup brands and I loved makeup management. But what I did notice across every category was that I was kind of now behind the curtain, now working on these brands, now producing the visuals that you see in store or that you might see on TV. And I wasn't seeing myself reflected and I wasn't being given the opportunity to make those decisions to see myself reflected. Right. And so I kind of got to the point where I, something clicked and I was like, oh my God, it's ownership. Who owns the brand really at the end of the day gets to decide what we see in the market. Yes, we're like all executing and, you know, we have autonomy in those things, but I really felt like there's a disconnect between ownership and the output. And that really led me to the point where I thought, well, if I'm so sick of this and I don't like what I'm seeing in the market and I think there's an opportunity for brands to speak to women of color in a better way, I'm going to go and do it. And so I ended up leaving knowing that I wanted to start a brand and create a brand that was for women of color and more specifically for black and brown women that they hadn't seen before. And that would speak to them in a different way. Like there are products on the market, right? But they all felt like they were speaking in one way. And then you had the kind of, you know, quote unquote, main market and the marketing style and the visuals and everything about the experience of those brands was so different from what you were seeing with the brands that were specifically targeting black women, right? And I wanted a brand experience like everybody else was getting and I wasn't getting it. And so the idea really stemmed from creating beauty products, not knowing what they would be yet for this particular customer in a way that felt really contemporary and for this person now versus 1992. So I kind of went on a bit of a discovery and I was like, right, okay, so I've got this idea. I know who I want to speak to. I can see where the overall kind of gap in the market is, but where can I best serve and where do my skills lie that would bring something new and differentiated to market? Like, where do I have the right to win? Which is actually something I learned at PNG was like, if you're going after an opportunity, there are so many opportunities. Like, you could do anything, but like, where do you specifically? have the right to win? Like what are your unique skill sets? What gives you the right to be the best player in this particular category? And so 
I was thinking about all of those things, thinking about what was the most immediate need, like where I could fill a gap. And I went on a trip to the United States and I was in New York and I got on a flight from New York to go to Colorado and I had a hair relaxer in my suitcase, which is like a chemical hair straightening product. So I was still relaxing my hair at that time. And I arrived in Colorado, opened up my suitcase and the relaxer had exploded over all of my clothes, all of my stuff. And I didn't have access to get another one because I was in the middle of nowhere. And relaxer is like bleach, right? You have to top it up every, you know, three to six months or however fast your hair grows. And I was at the point where I needed a top up and I thought, oh my God, I can't get one. And then I realized that I, at that time, had been thinking about the products I was putting on my body and on my skin and reading ingredient labels for my moisturizers. And I was like, but I'm still putting this relaxer on my scalp, which is also skin. (laughs) And it's not even a matter of, you know, potentially finding links to internal damage that relaxer causes, but it's also external damage. Like I'd grown up relaxing my hair my whole life and getting scabs and welts and all of these things and broken hair and damage on the outside as well. And I realized that I wanted to stop and actually go back to my natural texture, which I hadn't done for years. I'd been relaxing since I was six or seven and either having my hair relaxed with a weave or getting braids or whatever it might be. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this. And that's when the moment happened because I went into a store and was like, great, I need products that are designed for my hair type because I would just use products that were designed for straight hair. My hair was technically straight, so I could use like whatever was in the, you know, general market. And I got to the aisle, the kind of, you know, quote unquote, multicultural hair care aisle. And I was just really shocked. And honestly, it felt like I was back in the shed and back in the garage with (laughs) all the products are the same as, you know, the 90s when I was in my mum's salon and all those products stacked up in the spare room. And I just couldn't believe that there was nothing there that I felt I wanted to buy and that I felt aligned with me as a millennial consumer. And it was also extremely complicated. And I was like, I just want to wash my hair. Someone tell me how to wash my hair. Give me a box and say, this is how you wash your naturally curly hair and be done with it. And nobody was doing that. And so I went away and started first looking at the market data and seeing, you know, what was growing, what other people were doing, because I was like, this is me, but what does everybody else want? And so many other people were going through this transition and the natural hair movement was really happening. And it was shown in the data as well, because relaxer sales were declining significantly. Shampoo and conditioner sales and treatments were up. And I thought this is the opportunity that I feel best equipped to serve because of my background and because of this experience that I had. And because I had that experience working at L'Oreal, I thought I know how to pitch a retailer. I know how to get this in a place that makes sense and in a place where you shop for all of your other beauty things, but you can't find a brand like this for this particular hair for this customer. And so that was the origin of bread. That's so exciting. I love that you touched on the fact that you were able to figure out a good angle for Mm. your brand, because I think sometimes people are like, I have a dream and, you know, $20 and I'm going to make this brand happen. And then when you kind of press for more information about what's unique about the brand and, you know, what the brand stands for and why it's going to be different or even take something that's already out there and make it better. People are like, well, it's different because I'm making it. And I'm like, that's not enough. It's not (laughs) enough. 
Yeah. And maybe you have like the personal story, obviously, but you also are coming from a place of expertise and like, you know, that you need to like study the market and like see if other women are also, you know, trying to embark on their like natural hair journey. So like totally what Kirby is saying, like you really knew what you were doing. <laughs> Whereas people sometimes they're just like, well, I want to, yeah, like I just want to make a product because I want to do it myself, you know? Right. And it's so easy now. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And sometimes people think, oh, I don't see this on the market. Why don't I create it? And what they don't realize is there's a reason why it doesn't exist yet. Like, obviously, in your case, there was a reason why it didn't exist. And it was because like, I don't think the shift was there. Like, there wasn't anybody at the top that was actually making like, sound decisions, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, for this customer, for sure. Exactly. So but then there's some people that are like, I want to create this. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't exist because it's like, there's not a place for it. So it's not going to sell, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nobody's going to buy this versus something else. So this leads us to Sephora Accelerator. I think that a lot of people listening are probably thinking, I have a, a brand dream of my own and I want to see what I can do. How do you even get involved with the Sephora Accelerator program? And then what are the benefits of being a part of it? Yeah, I think that... You're so right as well. Like so many things have to converge at the right time for it to be the right opportunity. And that was something that I would hear a lot in investor circles. They'd be like, oh my God, great idea. But like the question is always why now? And I always think that luck plays a part in everything, right? And so the luck of it was that everything was kind of converging, right? It was this white space. The other categories of the market were starting to go through a bit of a renaissance. Makeup, Fenty launched not too long after this. And I could see that, you know, it was going to make its way to hair. Hair's always behind. Hair's always the category that's like 10 years behind. So it's, it's going to come and nobody's doing it yet. And it really felt like at that time, if nobody's done it, then nobody's going to do it for, for a while. And so it felt like one, the right time, you know, Sephora hair care at the time was growing, but they also were trying to figure out how to serve this customer better in hair. So that aligned really well. And then with Sephora Accelerate, that also happened to come around at the right time too, because I was an Australia-based founder. When I first got in touch with Sephora, it was only open to US-based founders. But the following year, once I had done a little more groundwork and I was more prepared, it was the first time they ever opened it up to Australia-based founders. And so all of those things kind of came together at the right time and in the right way. And with Sephora, I knew that I wanted to get in front of Sephora and that's where I wanted bread to exist, like from the jump. And so I went about it in two ways. One was making contact with the Sephora Accelerate team. And then the other was speaking directly with the merchants and the buyers on the hair care side. So I got in front of a buyer by going to an event. I went to a conference in LA and I knew that there was going to be someone senior at Sephora speaking. It was actually meant to be their VP. It ended up being a different VP who looked after makeup. Like my entire reason for being at that event was like to get in front of her face and be like, hey, how do I, how do I pitch to you guys? And I, I managed to kind of corner her after she'd had her lunch in a nice way, but approached her and just said, you know, I'm creating this brand, creating this hair care brand. I would love your advice about how I can get in touch with a buyer and how I can pitch my idea. And she was amazing and like gave me her card and said, do you have samples? And at that stage, I did have really early stage samples. I said, I have samples and I have a deck. And she was like, great, here's my card, email it to me and I'll send it to the right person. And I was like, mm, 
that seems a little bit too easy. And she literally said, she was like, easy, right? (laughs) Yeah, too, too easy, maybe, I don't know. And so I went back and even though I had my deck prepared, I was like, no, I need to, this needs to be absolute perfection. And so I went back and started like reworking some parts of my brand deck. And then I told a white lie and said I was going to be in San Francisco because I knew that's where their head office was. So I was like, hey, here's my deck. By the way, I'm in San Francisco for two days next week. Would love to, you know, meet with the buyer. She sent it to the hair care buyer. I went to San Francisco. <laughs> And I sat in my hotel and I thought, I will just wait here for you to respond to me. (laughs) And again, luck, she did. She responded and said, I can meet you for 15 minutes tomorrow. And I thought, great, I'm supposed to fly out tomorrow. I will change my flight. (laughs) So (laughs) I have to say this one piece, which doesn't even, it's not even that relevant, but I remember on the way into San Francisco, the flight was delayed and I ended up getting a refund for the flight amount. And so when I had to change my flight, I ended up not being out of pocket which again, just like incredible luck. I think I did not have to pay to change my flight. And then I met with her and I also happened to know somebody who I'd met maybe six months prior who was living in San Francisco and I told her that I was there and what I was doing. And she said, oh, I actually know the person who runs Sephora Accelerate. Do you want me to introduce you? And I thought, yes, great, please do. And she did. And it just so happened that I managed to meet with them both on the exact same day, back to back in the same spot. So the Accelerate manager was like, yep, I have 15 minutes at 10 o'clock tomorrow. And then the merchandising manager was like, yep, I have 15 minutes at nine o'clock. And so I sat in my little spot at Joe and the Juice with all of my stuff prepared, waiting to do my series. <laughs> and it was amazing. Like the, the buyer was just very intent on like delivering a great product to this customer. They were struggling to find something that they felt would like click in a Sephora. She was amazing. Their meeting ended up going for like an hour, an hour and a half. And then I met with the Accelerate manager who I now consider a really great friend. And she told me to apply and she'd let me know if, you know, it would be valid and, and then go got in touch again the next year when they opened it up to Australia-based founders. And then that buyer that I'd met with ended up putting me forward for Accelerate. So sometimes when you apply, a merchant can actually recommend people or recommend brands to be part of Accelerate. And if you're recommended by a buyer, you skip over a lot of the application process and you go straight to final interviews. And there's a series of final interviews. So there was Uh, Zoom interviews, and then I had to do in-person interviews in Australia, and then an interview with someone senior at Sephora US. So you still go through a process. And actually, even though I was recommended, I was like, I still want to do the actual application. So I redid the application. (laughs) And they said it was the longest application they'd ever received, which initially I was like, is that a bad thing? Did I (laughs) include too much? But I just tried to go above and beyond. Like, okay, you want a paragraph about the company history? Like, here's a 10 pager and you know a business deck and I don't know like a short feature length film about the brand (laughs) and ended up getting in which was awesome and it was myself and another founder from Australia and we went over to San Francisco for Accelerate and it was genuinely the best thing that I've ever done for the business so for anyone who is thinking about applying do it. So can you explain to people what like the Accelerate program does for brands? Yeah. So at the time that I did it, the idea of Accelerate was that it would help female founders at different stages of their business with 
growth of their business, right? Whatever that meant to them. So not everyone is going to take away the same things from the program, right? It depends what stage you're at. For me, I was pre-launch. And so what I took away from the program was different from someone who had already been in market for two years and was looking to get to the next stage. They take you through a boot camp. And during that boot camp week, you get to meet with and do different workshops with experts. So whether it's a branding expert or a supply chain expert or, you know, a business development expert, retail expert, whoever it is, you have a whole week and series of these workshops and panels and talks. And they include senior people from Sephora that can help you with each of those functions as well. You're assigned a mentor who kind of guides you through the process. My mentor was the hair care merchant. And it's just a really great way to what Sephora likes to say, get in the kitchen with Sephora, especially if you're pre-launch and you get to have their take on things because they have so much knowledge and insight about the market that it really just helps you to craft the next stage of your business. And then at the end, we had a pitch day. So we got to pitch to a room full of investors and beauty executives and people that could help us with things. And that pitch day was really about whatever you needed for your business. So if you were looking for new retail partners, you could pitch it as a a retail opportunity. If you were looking for investors, you would pitch it like an investment. And for me, I was looking for investors. I was pre-launch. I knew that we needed investors if we wanted to launch at Sephora. And so for me, it was was an investment pitch. And it's just such a great way, especially if you're not well-networked, because investment is always about network and who you know and people giving you introductions to have meetings. And I was flying you know, to the US from Australia, I didn't have those on the ground connections. And a lot of, you know, POC founders don't. This is a really great way to be able to pitch your business in front of, you know, 100 investors at one time, and then get follow on meetings, which is what happened. So did the pitch and then just had so many follow on meetings after that to really build those relationships. Um, And an introduction that I got from that pitch day to an investor was the investor who ended up leading our round. Do all brands that go through Sephora Accelerate end up in Sephora? So when I did the program, I think the year that I did was the last year for that particular model where not every brand would go into Sephora. It was more about Sephora giving support to female founders to help them build the business in whatever way they wanted. Now, I believe, at least last year it was, I believe it's the same this year, anyone who gets accepted into Accelerate launches with Sephora. Wow. It would be dumb, honestly, for them to not want to like snatch up these brands, like at least, you know, on their way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they've definitely caught on to that now. And they're like, actually, we should probably just launch all of these brands. And so that forms a part of that forms a part of the new, I guess, application process, right? So if you're pitching your brand, knowing that they're picking brands that they want to launch, just make sure you're crafting your application around that knowledge that, okay, this is a brand that has to launch in Sephora. And one of the best pieces of advice I could probably give is not to just look at what brand or product you're launching within the market, but like within a Sephora, like what are they missing from that category that your brand can give them? That's really good advice. I feel like so many Australian beauty brands that I know of or Kirby knows of, like they, you know, started in Australia, have developed you know, built their brand and then have, you know, now come to the US, you, you know, were building your brand with both Australia and America in mind, you know, the consumers. And I feel like America and Australia seemingly have like similar cultures, but are there differences, like, especially in terms of 
diversity and inclusivity like do you feel like one is more inclusive than the other or like what did you notice or what do you still notice now you know as you are you know continuing to build your brand yeah it's such an interesting question because I feel like, yeah, culturally we're so similar, right? It's very easy to get along with Americans. Actually, no, I, I should caveat that and say I feel like we're more culturally similar to Canadians than to Americans. Like I feel like, sorry, <laughs> your eyes just what? We get it. We get it. You all are so much nicer and so are Canadians, so that's fine. <laughs> There's a real like energy about Americans that like we don't necessarily have, so it's is different. But I would say, in terms of inclusivity, it's in Australia. Everything is still very separate, right? So you have like neighborhoods or specific areas where it's quite diverse, but the majority of places in Australia are like what I grew up with, which was there's one black girl at the school, right? It's not very like intermingled. Even, you know, I was driving past a school the other day and like all of the kids were walking back from McDonald's. This is a very Australian thing. There's a McDonald's down the road. So everyone walks down to McDonald's to get lunch. They're all walking back and there was a group of black girls and they were all with each other. It was like the four black girls and then everybody else, right? And that's kind of what Australia is like. Everything is separate. It would be an anomaly to walk down the street and see another black person. And it is very much the oh, the nod of, oh, there's another, hey, I see you. Whereas in America, I feel like you have that too, where it's, you know, quite segregated in certain parts, but there's so much more intermingling. There's so much more diversity and culture together versus really separate like you have here. And I've had people visit from America and be quite shocked at that, to be quite shocked at the fact that they don't see people of colour as often. And when they do, it's it's not like, you know, friend groups where it's very commingled. It's like we'll see people of colour in very specific places. We really have taken a long time to get to the point where it feels more like an America where everyone's hanging out with each other. It's honestly not really like that, um, which is you know, sad, but it's, it's true. It's the way that, you know, Australia has been kind of created. Everyone lives in their own bubbles. Do you see that changing at all? Like, do you think in five to 10 years, that'll be different? If you'd asked me that two years ago, I would have said yes. Now I'm not sure. I think that it will happen. I think it's just going to take way longer than we probably would have liked because of COVID. And we have had a hard border in Australia. So I mean, we get to that point through immigration, right? And the more immigration we have, the more culturally diverse we become and all of those things. And immigration has basically stopped, except for a few cases. I think we have a flight cap here in at least Perth. It may have gone up slightly, but of like 50 international people can arrive per week. And that includes returning citizens. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it, I mean, maybe we'll get there, but not in five to 10 years for sure. Definitely not. I think that progress is being made. I mean, we exist in Sephora here now, which is incredible because it is obviously Australia is much smaller and the population sizes are much smaller and that space in Sephora is so valuable. So for a brand like Bread to exist in a place like Sephora, where in Western Australia, there is one Sephora store and it's like the destination to go. Obviously we have more stores around the country, but like to exist there is like insane and is like my wildest dream come true because I would have loved growing up in Perth to be able to walk into a Sephora and like see packaging with like a black girl on the front and be like, oh my God, like I belong. So yeah, I think, you know, things are happening, but not very fast. <laughs> 
Yes, I'm sure all those little girls walking at the McDonald's, like, thank God they have you to look up to and like to be able to shop and find products for them. Like, that's incredible. You should be so proud. But that's what I love about this brand. Like, that's what matters. Like, all of the other cool things that happen, it's like, okay, cool. But when we get an email or a message or something from someone that's like, oh, my God, like, this made me feel so included and so happy. And we had an email from a mum the other day and she sent us all these pictures of her daughter, like holding the packs and was like, I had to email you guys because I bought all of these products. And the one thing that she pulled out that she loved so much was your bread products because she can see herself on them. So yeah, I love that. And that's why we continue doing what we're doing. Okay. So then let's talk about bread. First and foremost, I don't think we covered this. Why bread? Why is it named bread? Okay, so in that moment where I was like at the aisle of the hair care and thinking, oh my God, this is so complicated. And we really wanted to create a brand that was about simplifying your routine and creating all of the essentials that you need in your hair care lineup. And so I was thinking about what what are essentials in other categories? And naturally, the first thing I thought of was food. I'm like, hey, food's a category. What's an essential in food? And bread was the first thing that came to mind. And I thought, bread, that's what we're making. We're making the essentials. And then there's so many other like fun, you know, plays on word that you can have with a name like bread. And it just felt like the natural fit for what we're doing and what we're creating and what we could do with that name. And we were able to trademark it. (laughs) Which is important when you have a brand. So like what products are you most excited about? And can you share like, you know, bread beauty supply, it kind of implies that there's more than just hair care. So like, what do you have in store? Can you share anything? Yeah, you are right. Um, So bread is our short name. Bread beauty supply is our longer name which was really the idea behind that was that it's kind of a nod to, you know, the classic beauty supply store where you would go and like find everything that you need. And so our ambition is eventually to be that destination for all of your beauty needs, but we're starting with hair. So we don't have a timeline on that, but yes, we definitely will be expanding categories at some point. Woohoo. Okay. I'm excited. And by the way, the scalp serum, not only is it great, but it's like so beautiful. I don't even want to use it. Oh my God. It looks like it. I kind of want to drink it. I know you, you shouldn't drink it, but like you kind of want to drink it based on the color of it. Definitely don't drink it. Yes. It's stunning. Thank you. I really loved the idea that it looks like, or it reminds me of, actually we're joking about this um, with the team when we launched it, um, two things. One, that little alien man that Mr. Burns becomes in one of the episodes of The Simpsons, and he's like glowing. <laughs> it's like, we've got photos of that in our Slack channel. And then two, this movie that I was obsessed with in the 90s when I was growing up, Death Becomes Her. Yes, we love that movie. Oh my God, it was like one of my favorite films and it reminds me of the poison. Well, not the poison, but like the the thing that they drink for everlasting. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what I'm <laughs> saying, Mava. It makes me want to drink it. That's why, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Please don't, it won't, it won't do anything for you internally <laughs> except bad things, just uh, <laughs> topical only. <laughs> Okay, topical only, topical only. Mava, okay, we're going to get into our slow burn round. What is your literal favorite? This is a Sarah question, clearly. (laughs) What is your literal favorite bread or carb? Oh my gosh. Oh, that is really, (laughs) really hard. 
god okay um do you know what i love a classic baguette like that i could eat a whole baguette just on its own i'm not a huge fan of butter so i literally could eat a whole dry baguette and i'd be good (laughs) sarah and i both were like not a fan of butter I can't believe she's not a fan of butter. Right? <laughs> maybe, maybe it has to do with a question you have later on, Kirby. Wait, Sarah, Sarah, what's your favorite bread or carb? I love like a fresh sourdough, and I love a baguette. But I also love croissants. I love all carbs. But okay, I'll go with I'll go with a sourdough. My favorite is the brown whole grain bread from Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Mavis, like what? <laughs> No, I know Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Mava, when you get your butt out of Perth and back to LA, we're going to, okay, maybe we, we'll do two dinners, one at Cheesecake and then one somewhere cuter. Okay, great. Yeah. But literally this, this bread is to die for. It's incredible. Okay. I'm going to have to try that. I do like Cheesecake Factory. They have a great pasta. Who is the celebrity with the best hair? Who has the best hair? I am going to have to say Solange. Oh, she she does have beautiful hair. Yeah, uh, she's got it going on. Okay, what is Australia's best kept secret? <laughs> oh my god, that's a good question. I'm gonna say I think we have a few. The first one is you know how there's all these jokes about like kangaroos and people are like, oh, do you have a kangaroo in your backyard as your pet? And we're like, ha ha ha. No, it's not actually like that. It is actually like that. <laughs> We just the other day. Are you were, serious? Yeah, I mean, you don't have it as like a pet, but like lots of people get kangaroos in their backyard. We have kangaroos like just across the street. It just depends on the time of day. You can go past and we were looking at the joeys the other day. They can get like big and strong and scary. They're they're terrifying. Kangaroos are scary animals. Yes. I mean, you don't want to like go out and pat the wild ones at all. Wait, that's the best kept secret? I mean, it's, it's one of them. And then I would say another one is like, it's got to be our food. We have really good food and we don't do tipping here because we just pay people a wage. (laughs) So you don't have to tip. You can get really good food and you can feel good about it because it's all included. And what a novel concept, right? Isn't that great? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Mava, Mava, this is not on the question list, but I have to ask, are the giant spiders prevalent? Because like, that's like the one thing keeping me from going to Australia. I am effing terrified of the arachnids. The arachnids? <laughs> Look, I'm not going to say they don't exist. I'm not going to say that. What I will say is that it depends where you go. Like if you're in suburbia, you're in a suburban house, like you, there's going to be arachnids. We have daddy long legs, which are completely harmless. Almost everybody has daddy long legs. But like the big sort of like scary ones, like you'll find them in suburban areas every now and then. But if you're like in a main city, like we lived in an apartment building for three years and I think I saw a spider once. And then when we lived in an actual house, I would see them like every month. So it it just depends where you are. But don't let that put you off. Honestly, I've lived here for the majority of my life and I can't, I can only think of one occasion that I still remember of like seeing a giant spider and being like, oh, I'm going to die. But other than that, you're good. (laughs) TikTok is really good at like scaring the ever loving crap out of me (laughs) when it comes to Australia and spiders. Literally like a girl was like walking to her car, pulled the door handle and like 
grabbed onto a spider. It was like the spider grabbed onto her hand and it was oh like my gosh. the size of her palm. And I was like, nope, immediately no, not doing this. Like I can't That's Australia immigration trying to keep everyone out. <laughs> They're like, we've got 50 spots. You have to watch this video before you decide to come in. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> They're making fake videos to keep people out. They're like, okay, Kirby's not going to come anymore. Great. <laughs> Australian government TikTok campaign. <laughs> Favorite bread product. So love everybody. Love all my bread children. Um, everyone loves the hair oil. It's our bestseller. The hair cream is incredible. But my favorite child will always be one of my first children, which is hair wash. So it's a shampoo, but it's a hair wash because we use a really gentle surfactant. The type of surfactant that we use in it is one that you would typically find in more like a, like a face wash. So it's super gentle. It's kind of this weird, like milky, almost marshmallowy texture. It smells like a bowl of Fruit Loop cereal milk. And it just like sets the tone for my entire wash day because I don't get tangles. I can detangle with that hair wash. Like i put my mask on after but if I wanted to I could just use the hair wash and detangle with that like it's got that much slip that it's just amazing and if I do a wash day with anything else it ends up like lasting me forever so hair wash is always like my go-to my fave um it's our most awarded product as well which is amazing our humble shampoo <laughs> iconic I love it <laughs> okay this is the last question should I do it in the Australian accent should I be like I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it in front of me, but she's going to be like, <laughs> you were so close. You were so close. It was so close. Ma Maeva, Ma no, no. Is that British? <laughs> no, that was, that was not bad. That was not bad. That was actually pretty good. Maeva, is it, is it the hard R? Go up. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, wait. So as a marketer who knows, who understands marketing for consumer packaged goods, sell me on Vegemite. Should I be on the Vegemite train? Absolutely. It's all about the application. And I nearly made a video of this and put it on a USB to send to someone in America that I was going to send Vegemite to because I was like, you need to know how to apply this in order to have the best Vegemite experience. And once you do, you will understand. So the way that you apply it, and I said before, I don't like butter, but I do use like a, it's called Nutty Lex. I don't know if you have that there. It's like a nut-based butter thing. Oh, you do? Okay, mm. great. Um, <laughs> love that. They have like an olive oil one as well. So to have good Vegemite, you have to absolutely soak your toast in butter or margarine or whatever you want to use, like soak it. And then you take the tiniest little bit of Vegemite on the end of your knife and you scrape it across very lightly until you start forming almost like little like scrape dust. And it's like buttery Vegemite clumps and dust. And you do that all over the Vegemite, mix it all together until you're done. And literally the tiniest amount. It's like just a little, I would say a pea-sized amount, possibly less on the end of your knife across your toast. That's your Vegemite. What does it taste like? I don't know. It's not, it's not like a taste that you would really have. You can't really compare it to anything. It's. I've had it before and I can't really tell you. Yeah. I was going to say like yeasty, but it's obviously not like what does yeast taste like? You know, you'll try it Kirby. Salty. So it's more of like a savory, it's a savory toast. Okay. Just keep that in mind. Vegemite. I'll do the video. I'll send you the video. <laughs> That, that's 
British. All, all Canadian, yeah. <laughs> we need help. Specifically me. I need help. I need help. Mava, you're awesome. Thank you for putting up with us. I don't think we've laughed like this hard in an episode before. Oh, what a blessing. We had a great time. Me too. This was really fun. Thank you. Yes. So tell us, Mava, where can we find you and where can we find Bread Beauty Supply? Yes, you can find us at Bread Beauty Supply on Instagram. Uh, you can find us at Sephora and you can find me at Mava underscore Helen on Instagram. It's spelled M-A-E-V-A underscore Helen is spelled H-E-L-E-N-E. That's me. All right, that's it. Thank you everyone for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with the week's most buzzy beauty news. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website, glossangelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. You can follow us, your hosts. I'm Sarah Tan, that's S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms. Los Angeles was created by us, Kirby Johnson, and Sarah Tan. It's part of the ACAST network and licensed by Vice Media Group. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.